sounds like. Hello. Hello, you're listening to Objection to the Rule live on Radio Free Brooklyn. Oh, and uh, there's looks like there's four of us. We have a surprise fourth member here today, but I'm Emily. Um, and today in the studio, it was, we have Miss Jasmine. Hello. 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 And Sarah. Hi, everyone. And Matt, who will be on the mic shortly. Um, but yeah, so it is no, uh, November 3rd, 2019. Today was the marathon in New York. Uh, it's a beautiful, crisp day. How's everybody's weekend going? Really good so far. I love the weather. Right yeah, now. me too. It's um, pretty good. I had fun seeing all the Halloween costumes. Oh, do you see mm. anything good? I, I saw something amazing. Oh, please share. So <laughs> before I went to go see the original Halloween, I had never seen it. Um, they were playing it at Syndicate. I'm like, oh, let me get some tacos. <laughs> and the place I was at was completely empty. And then these t- these parents come in with their two little girls, and one was a witch, and the little itty-bitty one was a chicken. Oh. And she went straight past the candy and was just flapping at me like, ah! It was so adorable. I love that. I think the cutest in terms of baby costumes I've ever seen was um, a mom who was a spider web and she had a baby in like a little like satchel as like the spider. Oh. I know. Yeah, I know. That's that was very cute. cute. I, I am partial to animal costumes, though, but um, we digress. I think it might be time to get into the news. Um, cool. All right. So we're going to start off with some local news. And Jasmine has our first story. Hit it, girl. Yes, I do. So this is something I planned on doing, but didn't quite make it out in time. But this year, New York became one of 39 states that allows early voting. So I didn't realize like how late we are compared to the rest of the country. But um, for the first time, New Yorkers could vote from October 26th through to today, November 3rd. So you cannot vote early tomorrow. Like if you haven't done it before today at 4 p.m., you have to wait until Tuesday, November 5th. So the law requires polls to be open for about at least five hours between nine and six on each Saturday, Sunday and legal holiday during the voting period. And they have to be open for at least eight hours between 7 a.m. and 8 p.m. each weekday during early voting. And one of the polling places needs to be open until 8 p.m. for at least two weekdays. Um, One thing I didn't realize is that the polling site that you go to on Election Day and your early voting site are not the same place. So you you shouldn't like you have to look up where your early voting site is. So um, I looked mine up. It's a 20 minute walk from where I'm at and where I would typically go is like a five minute walk. Mm. So, yeah, like I think that this is a great idea. I'm happy that this law was passed because, you know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong the day of and it's kind of too late to fix it on that day. You Mm -hmm. have people that, you know, they might need transportation or help. Someone might have to um, do what do you call it, like carpool or something Mm -hmm. in order to get to your polling site. So if it's only one day, that's a lot of pressure. But at least if you have this, you have a little more wiggle room. And, you know, should something be wrong, like let's say you're not on the polls, like you're not on the registry or whatever, like you at least have a little bit of time to fix that. So 
That's awesome. So yeah. do you early, you went to early vote this year? I did not. Oh, you did no, not. Okay. I did not. I best laid plans. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, but I have a job, lucky enough, like where I get off, like we have it as a holiday. Oh, good. So good. unlike a lot of people, it's, yeah. you know, because that's an issue too, having to take time off. Mm-hmm. Not everyone can do that. And last time on election day, the lines were ridiculous. Like it was very yeah. stressful. A lot of older people would, like mobility issues, a lot of kids that were getting rowdy. So hopefully this will help alleviate some of that. So that's awesome. Cool. And um, do you think that like, why do you think this doesn't happen like everywhere? Well, I'm surprised. I didn't realize that it. this is what we're the 39th state. So that's a lot of the country yeah, where it does happen. But I, I definitely think that it's a voter suppression issue. Like it's a lot easier to. Um, just not count people if you make it hard for them to go or if you lim- like make the polling sites few and far between if you limit the hours like there's a lot of ways to stop people from voting without mm-hmm. saying you're not allowed to vote mm-hmm. so um, hopefully this trend keeps going and we go from 39 to 50 states to have early voting but yeah. we awesome. shall see that's awesome I was I was reading an article this week that was really upsetting, but it was about specifically how as states like Texas become more swing states, Republicans are specifically looking for ways to um, make it more difficult to vote. And, you know, we're like removing polling stations on college campuses. Right. Yeah. Um, things like that because yeah, it benefits some people. It really does. That I remember reading something similar about like as more and more college age people make the effort to vote. Mm hmm. If, especially if you're maybe from out of state and you go to another place and you're vote, like you might not in their mind be representative of who they want to be voting mm-hmm. in that place. So they make it harder. There's a city in Georgia recently that decided to put a polling station in a police station where and it hmm. was also a county where it's technically a misdemeanor to like have your pants sagging like it was really oh. ridiculous so mm. that's going to intimidate wow. people or yeah. make people feel like this isn't a safe place for me to go so you wow. know let's fingers crossed that you know there's a lot of bad happening but hopefully this is something that will move forward i have a quick question mm-hmm. does anybody know about any organizations that make it like easier to vote like hmm. carpooling like van situations so I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I don't know anything specific. I know that sometimes there are car services that offer free yeah, free rides specifically. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna Hi, Matt. Also, welcome. Our Hi, fourth hey. member. Surprise. <laughs> Hi. You I, made it. I, I wanted to. Uh, I, I came late because I was at the, the marathon. Um, yeah. And you finished that fast? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I got to go. Going on, <laughs> you, you watched the marathon just to clarify. I watched it, and, and even that was exhausting. Fifty thousand people are running it. Oh my god! Whoa, I, I, wow. If you told me fifty thousand people in the world could run a marathon, I'd say maybe. Wow. Say, oh, and they all start on at the same location, same place. Wow! Uh, back home in Minnesota, I think, and they may have done this nationwide, uh, but like Uber or Lyft, mm-hmm. they they had some voting stuff and. That yeah. made me kind of prickle because I was like, wait, this kind of feels like you're using like patriotism to like sell your services. Oh, well, that happens everywhere. America, <laughs> any American flag product is just mm, yeah. <laughs> selling patriotism. But um, yeah, no, I think I mean, we can get into um, like or like businesses using like work like that, to, you know, whether or not it's, you know, good mm. or bad and how it's luring people to like their business 
by like having an incentive anyway. But I, but separate. to answer your question, uh, Sarah, uh, <clears throat> I believe Metro Mobility and Metro Mobility Services do provide that. Um, but because Metro Mobility stuff for people with disabilities isn't for uh, the majority of the population, we generally don't know about it. Mm-hmm, so if right. you are like old and or you have um, mobility issues, uh, I think there are services in the the government, uh, the department, the DOT can hook you up with. Yeah. Cool. Good job. Thanks, Jasmine. Yeah, no. Well, I didn't do it. but <laughs> Right. Well, thank you for your wonderful reporting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, sure. yeah. And then Matt, you're actually here to report your story. Yeah. Another local story. Yeah. Sorry for springing that on you. No. I, I was just going to uh, stand had to and listen it. and uh, observe <laughs> you guys because... Uh, but uh, I had to go to the bathroom, so I came to the building. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just going to listen from afar. Just, like, You're just going to wait outside and, the building and just listen. Well, it, it's good to like hear and like hear how everyone's yeah. doing. You know. um, but anyway, we have a story. Um, Brooklyn anti-cop protests last Friday, November 1st. Hundreds of people took to the streets of Brooklyn to protest police violence on the subways. At around 5 p.m., the gathering marched down Flashbook Avenue, past Barclay Center, and finally dispersed at around 10 p.m. later that evening. Some police cars were damaged in the protests, but only one person was arrested. This protester had spit on a police officer. So, why the protest? Most agreed it's due to rising anger at the increased effort to crack down on ferry evasion. The increased police presence is blamed for why 15-year-old Benjamin Marshall was punched during a fight that he wasn't involved in. The attack was filmed and highly viewed, adding to, adding to the call to protests. Adrian Napier is another victim of police violence, mistakenly thought to be holding a gun. He was targeted by multiple officers at gunpoint. They then charged him with theft of service. Many view this as a misuse of police, as a misuse of the police and unacceptable violence. The larger reason for the, the protest Here's Matthew's two cents because I was supposed <laughs> to be gone. Yourself. <laughs> yeah, I'll do third person. It feels good. <laughs> um, he couldn't be with us today. <laughs> okay, so last week we did a story on the protests in Chile over a rise in their subway uh, subway prices. The police, the people can't afford a price jump, but also it's a clear signal to the masses that it's okay to make the common people cough up extra money when budgets are tight, but people with ample means are, are free to keep their money to themselves. They shift their money. They, I'm talking about rich people. They shift their money out of countries, tax dodge, and hoard the profits made by the workers. This is kind of why it's my two cents, because this is, this is very opinionated language. Yes. <laughs> but that isn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily mean it's not true. Or the rich simply have political influence that keeps taxes low for the rich and focus the tax system on income tax, not wealth. A notable difference. For example, if you don't have very much income because you're no longer working and you have billions of dollars uh, in investments and other clever accounting tricks, then that doesn't get taxed. That's why Elizabeth Warren keeps talking about a wealth tax Mm. and not, um, yeah, that's what Anyway, a month or two ago, we also did a story on the guerrilla marketing ads that mocked and mimicked the official MTA ads that were on the subway, and it suggested that people rat out fare evaders. The fake ads 
made fun of the short-sighted nature of thinking fair evasion is the problem, not fair accessibility. Will there be future protests? Perhaps. The MTA already has major financial issues. And if you want to read further into that, there are a couple very extensive articles and it is a complicated thing. I, I didn't realize how um, complicated MTA's funding is and the way that they have to borrow money and they're in debt. And so you, they have to raise money to be able to do that. But then they get yelled at when they try to raise fares. Oh, yeah. Very confusing. But it does, it does look like we may have f- future protests if um, we keep trying to solve this problem just by hammering down the, uh, the, the nails that get in the way. Interesting. So you're, you're linking all these protests like psychologically together in like, like, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's mostly just because I watched like a, a segment on the daily show with Trevor Noah and their team uh, did like an overview of like the five global protests happening mm-hmm. and, yeah. and yeah, and Chile um, protesting subway fares is, yeah. is, is a direct link. And it is interesting thinking about how the ways in which we, we collect money. So austerity has come, has been a global thing. Uh, France, they had uh, austerity measures and people got really angry about that. Uh, austerity in Venezuela, austerity all over. And, and what that really means to me is when times get tough, you know, mm-hmm. you can draw from, from those without power mm-hmm. opposed to doing something perhaps seemingly radical, but maybe more logical about just taking in some of the trillions of dollars that people with money, they don't even know like how to spend it anymore. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, like they've, they have so much money, they don't even know like what to do with it. Yeah. And I've read things about how uh, above a certain threshold of wealth, you, you're the way you see the world and the way your brain works actually changes. So it's like when we talk about how like evil rich people, it's it's like you can, I mean, case by case basis, obviously, but like at a certain level, they don't see themselves in the same way and they don't see the rest of everyone around them in the same way. Um, sometimes psychologically, it's really interesting. Psychology is fascinating. Yeah, like to me, it just, it doesn't make any logical sense for this to really be about the fair. When you think about how much money a police officer earns, like how much you're paying like in salaries and overtime for people to stand. And they also stand in such a way that it's designed to catch people, not to deter people. Like if you ever go into the stations, like typically what I'll see, they'll be hiding behind something. Mm-hmm. So if you want mm-hmm. to discourage someone from jumping the turnstile, wouldn't you want to be visible mm-hmm, so that right. they won't do it? Or are you trying to catch someone because they're in your mind some type of undesirable? And another thing about the protests that came up, like a lot of people were sharing clips online of the protesters. And a lot of, like, you know, because they wanted to be like, oh, look, this is great. But one thing to remember is like if people's faces are showing like you might be by spreading those images, you might be making it easier mm-hmm. for them to have to face consequences later on. Like it is possible to identify people like from their face clearly if it's not covered. So that's something to keep in mind. Like even if you have good intentions, you might be mm-hmm. spreading someone's identity in mm-hmm. a way that might get them in trouble later on. So. That's a good point. I was also thinking about how this is also upsetting to me for like a completely different reason in that 
is discouraging people from using public transit, which mm-hmm. is like really good yeah. for the environment. Mm-hmm. And maybe people that it doesn't affect in the way where it's like you're going to get arrested or, you know, more wealthy people are going to just take an Uber because they don't want to deal with the protest or they mm-hmm. don't want to they don't want to uh, support the MTA if they're really upset about it. And now, you know, it's not yeah. helpful for the environment. It's just I don't know. I feel like it's prioritizing the wrong thing right now. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. 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 Um, I just want to note real fast that what Matt wrote, <clears throat> he made a little joke that he just skimmed over <laughs> for us to read in his place that he said, um, 50,000 people are running in the marathon. Good thing they're all running in the same direction. <laughs> 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 thank you for that spotlight of my, I really my true that, talents. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for that reporting on the on uh, public transportation protests around the world. Yeah. And here. Yeah, and so at the end, when I was speaking towards the end, um, it started. There's a little bell in my head when I when I hear people speak about things kind of vaguely and talking about like, oh, rich people have more money. Mm, mm -hmm. And it kind of rang in my bell and rang my head. And I don't like when I hear other people do that. And then I just did. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know. I, I think I'm just kind of bringing that up to just kind of if there's other people out there like me that don't like that type of talk. It's like no. Sometimes, I guess sometimes wealth inequality can be so cartoonishly big mm-hmm. that I sound like in um, like a like a silly like talk radio person painting with a broad brush. But yeah, I don't know. No, I appreciate that. I do because I think a lot of especially news programs today do when they're skewed a certain direction do kind of cartoonishly um, stereotype. Lots of things. Um, and I, yeah, I would like this to be a place for sure. Maybe I'll, I hope you all agree that likes to get into the nitty gritty of not, things are a case by case basis. And I know I painted a brush about a psychology of rich people, but it is, you know, not everyone, you know, things are case by case. Yeah, it, it was, that was helpful. When you said that something flashed in my mind mm-hmm. from earlier today, I was at the marathon waiting for my cousin and I was like, oh, what do I do? And I was, how I was like going to like, different stores because I was going to like buy like a coffee or something. And then all of a sudden I was in like a Walgreens or something. And I was like, wait a second, I don't need to buy anything. Mm. But <laughs> where was I going to like, I was like, I have to kill some time. Like this is our society. Yeah. This is capitalism. All right, cool. That was local news. Any last thoughts? Cool. We're going to take a quick music break and then we'll be back with some uh, national news. Uh, including stories on the California wildfires and uh, the U.S. Air Force's mystery space plane, Sarah. Wow. Love that. Just love that phrase. (laughs) Um, All right. Here is some music. In the dream, you were already speaking. I was too shocked to make anyone.
happy. And we're back. That was Rare Thing by Francis Quinlan of Hopalong. Um, I don't usually pick love songs for the show, I was saying, but uh, Teresa came up with a very, like, you know, list of first songs should be a new song. And I don't listen to a lot of new music, but that was a new song I really liked. Um, and you're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. This is Objection to the Rule, your Sunday news hour. Uh, we are back with some national news. Mm. Yeah. yeah, let's dive in with a story on the wildfires by Jasmine. So um, this is something that the article I drew most of this information from was on CNN. And I feel like every day, like there's another story where you see yet another massive fire or a fire that just seems to not go out out in California. Um, hi, Alyssa. My best friend is out in L.A. So she's oh, OK now, but good. it's it's stressful. Like yeah. there's earthquakes, there's fires, there's all this smog. <laughs> Um, and I saw a tweet where people were, there were videos of the fires raging and someone mentioned like there are prisoners like fighting the fires. And I had seen it a few times and assumed that they were people that were being forced to fight the fires. But looking into it a little bit more, what happens is the state of California employs 3,100 inmates as part of something called the conservation camp program. And over 2,000 of those inmates can fight fires and they're, act, they're trained in the same way as like a regular hmm. citizen that's going that decides to join the fire department. Um, but one of the issues with this is, for one thing, the inmates work long hours and they are paid between two dollars and ninety cents and five dollars and twelve cents hmm. per day hmm. and an additional one dollar an hour if they're fighting fires. And they can also um, earn reduced sentences. Uh, so the wages are higher compared to some other prison jobs. But obviously, like, that's extremely low, like, for a job where you're risking your life. And some of these inmates, like, after they get out of prison, they want to become firemen or, well, firefighters. But they're not able to because they have a felony, a felony conviction. And you have to be able to um, get EMT training, which is closed to a lot of people if you have a felony. So even though all of the people in the program are technically volunteers, like they volunteer to be in the program, they have to um, have good behavior, like a record of good behavior in prison. And obviously, like if you were in jail because you are an arsonist you're not allowed <laughs> so like if it's if, if you're like if you're someone who's committed a sexual offense like there's certain types right. of crimes where you're not able to volunteer for this but um once they get out like it's very difficult for them to actually find a job in that field that they're trained for and it's a job where you need people hmm. um, especially with climate change and the number of fires just going up like the fire season getting longer and longer it's a shame that, you know, some of the most qualified people that have been doing it are then unable to um, integrate into society by being yeah. an actual firefighter. So it's fascinating. Um, so you, are you do you like the program? Do you think it's a good program? What do you think? Um, I have somewhat mixed feelings because I now that I know that it's not like people are just being thrust into it which is what i kind of assumed but mm -hmm. it shows some kind of sense of like maybe this is something that that person always wanted to do but they didn't know like what avenues to go through and so they're like well i might as well since i'm here mm -hmm. but i do think that 
there might that there's something that seems exploitative about this to me because that is an extremely low wage and for you to close that door for the person once they get out is very icky to mm-hmm. me like it seems like um you're still treating these people like they're disposable even though they're literally risking their lives yeah in a very um serious crisis that's going on and doesn't seem to be slowing down like anytime soon so yeah yeah, it's like i like the idea of train like it makes sense like if you're in a correctional facility even though i don't i'm not a fan of prisons if you're saying you want to rehabilitate someone you're saying that you want them to be able to go out into the world and live a normal quote-unquote normal life it's cruel to me to have that window seem like it's open and then it shuts back down and you're back to where you were before. Mm-hmm. So is this type of <clears throat> firefighting, uh, is it, is there like a sp- specific, like special kind of firefighting for fighting wildfires? Is- well, some, one of the things that I saw was like, there's a lot more than just actually putting out a fire but there's things that you have to do in advance like clearing brush to try to Mm. prevent the spread of fire so if they're not necessary it's not like a fireman here who's you know going into a burning build and that's most of what you're doing like a lot of their work has to do with trying to contain and prevent these things from spreading in addition to trying to put them out Mm -hmm. so i would think like because that's the nature of of what's going on in California. Like they have to be trained to do that specifically. And that's where a lot of the need is. And and are they getting barred from the ex incarcerated people? Are they getting barred from doing that type of firefighting? The more like seasonal emergency. Uh... Yeah. Like, let me. I would, I would imagine that it's, it's under an overarching umbrella of a fire department. And that the the qualifications to be I know I know in New York I um I have a friend who's a fireman shouts out to Timmy um the best fireman in New York. I don't know but um just I don't know that many but um he's wonderful he's wonderful and very good at his job but he um he I've asked him about the requirements and there's a lot of there's a lot of um you know there's an age limit you can't be above a certain age before joining for the first time but if you're in it and you stay in it obviously they're not going to kick you out at that age but they they do have a lot of requirements that aren't easy for non-felon non-people without a record to meet even um so i i can imagine that it's similar and then yeah the barriers are rough yeah from what i understood it's like the people that were quoted in the article were saying like the work that these inmates are doing is extremely important like clearing the brush and everything and that is something that regular firefighters do so the fact that you have people trained to do that right like you have this pre-trained force that is then not working past mm-hmm. their time in prison. It doesn't make a lot of sense. So. It seems, yeah, it seems like an unfortunate uh, waste of resources that people are trained to do this thing and they need people to do this thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, speaking of uh, uh, incarceration and, and work, there is a man that I'm in communication with named Spoon Jackson who is a poet. Wow. Yeah. Spoon Jackson. He's, he's a poet. He's an author. Um, he's in California. He's been locked up for about 40 years, life without parole. And he, he needs help. If, if anybody wants to get in contact with me, I'm, I'm trying to find him a social media person, uh, to help him sell some of his books because 
you get paid so little mm. in prison that he doesn't have enough money to like mail out packages of like his books and stuff mm. to like get bookings places. And I know some people are just like, if you're in prison, you're not supposed to be part of the world. That's not my opinion. Um, or who are those people? I don't like those people. But it's a lot of people yeah. who feel that way. It's like you're in this. You're. Yeah. They think that you're a throwaway, which yeah. is terrible. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting, Matt. How can people reach you if they uh, do want to? Just hit up the the uh, um, hit up Sarah. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just interested. In yeah. What, what oh, okay. Um, hit up our Facebook page. Yeah. Objection to the rule. Um, that's a good one. You can reach out to Matt there or any of us for any questions you may have. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, Jasmine, for that story. Any did I cut you off early? Anything else you want to say about it? No, that's it. I just thought you know it's it's interesting and it's um, I think it's important to realize not just with firefighting but with a lot of other things that prisoners are often used as a labor force that is not paid. <laughs> they're not compensated well for what they do. A lot of people forget about them, and then when they leave, they're unable to find a regular job. So I think. You know, that's a good thing to keep in mind mm-hmm. when you're thinking about like who's doing some of the even stuff that's like made in the USA. You're like, oh, I'm support and unbeknownst to you, like that's prison labor. So or two dollars a day. Yeah. Like to clear brush and, you know, Crazy. the middle of an ec- ecological crisis. So, uh, well, thank you so much. Um, I'm with, we're going to switch gears to a f- I don't even know what this is, but I'm so excited to hear about it, Sarah. Yeah. I kind of don't either. Well, <laughs> all right. So the story was, I think I every time I see a space thing, it's like, oh, cool, new space plane. I don't know. I'm like, <laughs> a, ten, like a seven-year-old boy yeah. a little bit. Um, but I saw an article, which turned out to be completely different than what I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. But it looks like uh, the U.S. Air Force has a mystery space plane which was actually in the title of like most of the articles that i've read um and it landed after 780 days in orbit which was allegedly the record for the air force test pilot history which is kind of cool wow um and the it says that the experiment is classified although so we don't know exactly the reason for the 780 days in orbit i'm imagining that it's for a variety of reasons not just one i'm Mm -hmm. sure that's for a record you want to have a a variety of <laughs> for, experiments for going two on. Two years, yeah. Yeah. So the plane was called X three seven B. If you're interested in looking it up, <laughs> um, yeah. And so all we know is that the missions are used as tests for reusable space technology, which is cool, and risk reduction, which is maybe sketchy. So the Air Force has provided hints that it might be developing space warfare <gasps> technology and laser weaponry, which sounds fake, Whoa. but it's not. Um, and this particular plane was used to test the longevity of technology and safe landing back into Earth's atmosphere. So that makes sense. But the interesting thing about this one is it's not it doesn't touch down like a rocket ship, like how you would think, but it just touches down like a plane. Because I think what happens is it goes up in a rocket and then the plane launches from there like a regular, you know, mm-hmm. commercial aircraft. And then it, it touches back down into the atmosphere like a regular plane. So sounds like something people would actually be able to fly in wild yeah right um, i'm just vi- picturing it like it's invisible like you know what i yeah. mean it just shoots lasers. you can't see it or it's just like a regular plane and everyone's like oh yeah what's that plane doing I don't know, it was just lasers or just yeah. shoot, like blue and like yeah. pink lasers that's wild um so, yeah are you well how do you feel about this technology sarah i don't know i think it's cool because if it has anything to do with you know reusable technology that's very cool and the fact that it was 
in orbit for so long is sort of encouraging just because it means probably that, you know, right. it'll be able to be used for, you know, safety reasons. But I space warfare scares me oh. and also sounds fake, but I know that it, <laughs> it's not. Um, That's so interesting. So what like where did yeah. you look this up for anyone who's thinking you're lying to them? <laughs> oh, I, I see CNN, CNN yeah, NBC, ABC. Yeah. yeah. Because it does had, sound fake. That's wild. Yeah. So it's sort of all a mystery and sounds like science fiction. Yeah. But is the um, 700 days in orbits or orbits? Cause 700 I, days. So days, it was. Oh, days. I, I thought it was just because like when you're orbiting the Earth, it takes it's like five times as fast or something. Mm. Oh, but so it was up there yeah. for over two years. Yeah, it was up there for over two years. Um, oh, interesting. And the measurements of days. Was, ceases yeah. to be the same when you're not on earth right whoa matt <laughs> now we're getting yeah i don't know how many space days it was but it was currently seven we're getting years. into space days now yeah, yeah. so That's... the only unfortunate thing about this is i don't because we don't have that much information i don't know that we can have like a serious opinion on it right right but it is interesting to think about in terms of like the public not right. knowing certain information and it's like well yeah um Good, the good and the bad topic, of that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, you made a point. So you made a note about it being reusable. So does any? I'm not an expert on this, obviously. <laughs> but does anyone? So like, do most space mis- space missions you can't use that stuff anymore? Is yeah, that, a lot of the there's like a lot of metal floating around in space. Well, space like, truly. Mm. Yeah, I had to write an essay on space junk once. I just <laughs> so there you go. You <laughs> do know about it. No, I knew about space junk. I wasn't sure because I know the stuff that even comes back down to Earth. I guess it's just like oh, a true. waste, a resource. I don't know. You can't mm-hmm. use anymore. Yeah, well, there's like a there's like a ring of space junk around mm-hmm. the Earth that's just trash. Oh We've just trashed everything on the planet. It's like a ring in a bathtub, like, yeah. just like a grime ring. Yeah, of like I guess yeah, like stuff that gets. I think also they might just expel stuff sometimes from um, like you know satellites or whatever. Like you know satellites die up there and they stay up there and they're not going to waste money to go get them. Things like that. Um, there might be manned missions where they just expel junk and just be like whatever. I mean, I guess. What? I can't that, quite wait, remember. Does that matter, guys? I would love right. to know well, because we're not affecting any. It's just space. That's what the essay was any, asking. Yeah, me. What? the prompt. I, I wrote it twelve years ago. <laughs> I don't remember what my opinion was. I mean, I it, it makes me cringe. Just like why do why must we always trash everything yeah, around true. us? But <laughs> if it's just empty space where nothing lives, I guess it doesn't. I, I think I it's know, like <clears throat> I, I feel like it's one of those things where you don't know what the long-term consequences of something True. because it's relatively new. Mm-hmm. So like, there's a lot of things. It was like, oh, this is a great source of Woo! energy. We oh. can do this. Blah, blah, blah. And then like generations later, it's like, oh, oh our this, this, died. and this. Yeah, yeah when, this. Wasn't great. when we're trying to get off the earth and we can't because there's a, <laughs> a layer of right. junk. I think that was an issue was that in terms of like active missions bumping into stuff and it causing, yeah, it's like, it's just basically like, you know, take only wow. pictures, leave only footprints. It's just a good yeah. a good rule for anywhere you go, I think. The warfare stuff is kind of yeah. scary. It's like a yeah, lot bringing of bringing it back cool. down to earth, Jasmine. Good point. Yeah, it's yeah. like, I'm Touché. like, oh, like it's cool, like very Buzz Lightyear or whatever. Yeah. But then yeah. it's like you want to like the earth is already ravaged enough. And right. now you want to go into space and like be zapping people like it's I know. Yeah, it I mean, freaks me out. <laughs> if it's the Air Force, I think we can we can safely assume there's some sort of idea of warfare involved. It's not like it might it might be a preventative measure, but it's going to be some sort of defensive measure. I think, but probably Which, like is hard to 
it's always like chicken or the egg, like mm-hmm. arms race. It's like if we hear about other people making space warfare technology, wouldn't we obviously build space yeah. warfare technology? But at the same time, it's like if we're trying to keep the peace, why would we also? Are we trying know, to keep then. the peace though? There's no, money definitely in not. War, Sarah. Oh, definitely not. We're definitely not. But <laughs> yeah, ideologically, I yeah, I know. It's a shame how much those things are intertwined. Like, there's so many things mm-hmm. that started out with good and like good progressive intentions, and you learn a lot of things that are helpful. But the byproduct is like learning how to be very harmful mm-hmm. to people at the same time. So in terms of like ta- science, yeah. Are, are you talking about just like technologies or political ideas? I Ugh, would say Matt. Woof. <laughs> wow. I would. I, I think with technology, it's like someone will can come up with something or a concept or a tool that's very useful. But then there's te- there's always a flip side to like how that can then be weaponized in a negative way. Mm. I'll, I'll give you guys my example of the saddest, um, saddest, a little bit of knowledge can be a dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. When germ theory came about and was confirmed um, by like Louis Pasteur or whatever, um, and side digression, just because this might be interesting, Louis Pasteur, like from pasteurized shit, the French um, uh, doctor and scientist, he came up with proving germ theory by observing just actual people and how actual people had figured out how to make milk, keep milk from going bad and they would like slowly heat it and everything. But like he gets the name of everything. Mm. He's like, no, he's just like listening to normal people. Anyway, germ theory comes about and people are like, oh, germs are a bad thing. So... Some hospitals were like, oh, when a baby is born, Mm -hmm. then we shouldn't touch the baby for a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. then all these babies just were dying. Right. And become sociopaths, potentially. (laughs) That's really interesting and very sad. Yeah. Because it's a little bit of the uh, having the idea isn't always enough. It's not the full picture. But there's so many other things that. Yeah. You can't and you can't anticipate everything yeah. or like how things are going to yeah. go. So. Fascinating. Thank you so much, guys. Um, thank you, Sarah, for our mystery <laughs> space plane, which is Doing my new band name. name. Mystery yeah. space plane. <laughs> um, we're going to take one more music or not one more. We take another music break. And when we'll be back, uh, we'll have some world news for you. Here we go.
we're back. Uh, that was Calypso by Spiderbait. And anyone who's ever seen 10 Things I Hate About You, mm-hmm. what shouts up to you? That song's from that movie. Um, you are listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn, your weekly Sunday news hour. Uh, we are back. Uh, I'm Emily once again. Let's do a roll call. Hi, I'm Matthew. I'm Sarah. I'm Jasmine. Amazing. We're here today to present the news. We're on to world news. Um, Our first story uh, is Sarah. Once again, Sarah, hit us with your best shot. All right. So this is what everyone's been talking about. (laughs) Um, The death of ISIS Caliph Caliph. I don't know. Could be either. Um, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. He was killed in northwest Syria on Saturday night during a last Saturday. Not this one. Mm. Yeah, not not yesterday. The <laughs> oh, one before that. Yeah, um, during a U.S. special forces operation, um, Al Baghdadi's followers have held him as their spiritual and political leader. So the counterterrorism measure provoked a pretty hostile response from ISIS, which is not a surprise, I don't think, to anyone. Um, they stated that a new caliph has been instated. His name is Abu Ibrahim Al Hashimi Al Qureshi, which is means that he was allegedly from the you know, family of Muhammad. Um, I think you have to be to be. Yeah, that's what I found. Hmm. Um, what you have to be to be what the new to be the the, the leader. Yeah, interesting. Um, and yeah, we don't know much about him. They didn't really give a lot of information on that because obviously they showed his face or, or you heard him speak. It would you know kind of undermine the whole thing. So whether or not he really exists, we don't really know. Um, I'm assuming that he does, but um, so Trump. Our fearless leader used this moment to (laughs) surprise. (laughs) Yes, sarcasm. Uh, Celebrate himself and to say that he never gets credit. I'm sure you guys all saw the um, side by side of Obama (laughs) reacting to Osama's death and Trump reacting to this. It was quite. You should look it up is all I'll say. Um, uh, I read about it on Time's website and Jenna Jordan, who's a spokesperson for Time and the author of Strategic Targeting of Terrorist Organizations, has stated that al-Baghdadi's death will not destroy ISIS and that the death of the figurehead will also not likely affect the organization's capacity for impact on the world stage, which is an interesting take. Um, This is one of those news pieces that gets me because I feel like it's hard to know how to react to this because it's obviously... uh, seemingly good thing but also involves death and i always get confused when people celebrate death no matter if it's like the leader of a terrorist organization Mm -hmm. or not um and yeah it's it's hard to know how to feel about it especially since there is a lot of information saying that you know this isn't necessarily going to make an impact at all on the terrorist organization it's just sort of like posturing and makes the U.S. look strong. Trump looks strong. I don't know how we feel about that. That's really interesting. And actually, earlier today, I was skimming a New York Times article, like saying how Trump Trump was specifically using this language that was like he, you know, oh, Al Baghdadi was like whimpering and right, pleading, yeah, pleading for whatever. And like when the reporters were trying to confirm that that account, we can't. No, everyone was like, I don't know what the fuck he's talking. Pardon my language, but like he made that up. Like there's no yeah. way he could possibly know that. And no, no, there was yeah. no footage or anything. I mean, yeah. and even like the direct reports from the front lines, like no one's like telling that story. Yeah. I mean, I was t- 
talking to some friends and they were saying, well, I mean, even if that wasn't the case, it is maybe good to, you know, reduce the morale of the his followers, I guess, because it's sort of like they're getting propaganda telling them that he is like the religious and spiritual leader and all that. So that was interesting, yeah. but I still don't think that we should act like two year olds. But I, right. I don't know. I don't know how to feel. Oh, about that's it. really interesting. Well, propaganda yeah. too, like just making stuff up is like can't be good. Well, yeah, it would, right. we're all making stuff up. Interesting then, that it know. might have like a po- quote, you know, quote, positive outcome. I don't know. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, I, li- I liked yeah. what you said about not knowing how to feel about yeah. these assassinations. Uh, I, I agree. I don't I don't like these people not being put on trial um, when Osama bin Laden was killed. I, I was I remember thinking I was like, wait, was this a bad ending for him? He died surrounded by his family, was turned into a martyr and never had to he never had to be acknowledged. Uh, for the crimes from the rest of the world, like these kind of bloodlust approaches to trying to chop the head off of these the right. snakes of these terrorist organizations, I'm very skeptical of. Um, They'll just fill someone right. else in. I mean, right. It, I feel like it's it's that we've talked about this before. We're like living in the specter of like World War Two, where it was like a simple we're good, they're bad, like. They, like it's just the it's the Germans and Germany and you know where it's like today we live in a world where like that's why these wars go on for 10 15 years and like in you know halfway around the world and they we're just kind of accepted that it's still happening or mm-hmm. it doesn't really affect our lives in the same way it's because it's different than it used to be but we live in the specter of the idea that, oh if we get Hitler it's over right but it's like not the same right. thing yeah. anymore and, and then we forget that in World War Two, think of the I don't even know, uh, 22 million Soviets died, uh, 6 million Jews, uh, a couple million more people that the Nazis killed and keep tallying it up. Like it wasn't even a clean story back right. then. Like right. That nice ending was begotten by the just so much of the fighting forces right. dying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like you can getting rid of an individual doesn't get rid of an ideology. And like, that's something that we all see, you know, like Hitler is no yeah. longer here. There's plenty of people that still right. agree with a lot of his thinking. Um, they're coming like, back. There's yeah. other people that will come up or sometimes people are even encouraged when they see someone that they might perceive as some kind of a martyr or like that, like the enemy killed our, our leader. And that might be more of an encouragement to mm-hmm. keep going or a sign that, you know, everyone's against us. We must be right. So right. yeah, it, it is very simplistic to just be like, yay. Like it's not yeah, that, that simple like mm-hmm. at all. Like, I mean, it is a, like a moment and it makes, you know, it's important to note, but I feel like, Americans in particular, a lot of people are just see ISIS as like, I don't know, a room full of guys with guns and we need to take them all out. And then once we do that, it's all over. But that's not I mean, there's like families involved in ISIS that have nothing to do with the violence and they're all sort of swept up in it. And it's a lot more complicated than just like this one guy. And then we've got rid of him. The Daily Podcast for The New York Times had a really good story about families getting swept up and you know, wives and children who aren't really involved, but get swept up and now we're in camps and yeah, in Turkey and it's all, it's a lot more complicated and it, it never was uncomplicated. I think Matt made a good point. World War II, a lot of people got swept up along the way. People who, yeah, had to. But when there's a figurehead to rally around, yeah. it does make sense that people would say, I mean, you know, Hitler was like 
the figurehead of the Nazi party. So he made himself that way. Yeah. yeah but it's it, there's so much layered underneath yeah. it. That is yeah. what and we see. I think the follow up to the next episode of The Daily was more specifically about um, Baghdadi and how his ISIS, mm-hmm. <laughs> his, his version of it, had people directly uh, pledging allegiance to him. Uh, some of the suicide um, bombers and uh, people would say so so his death could be more significant than just um, the way that we're trying to deal with uh, drugs in Mexico and Latin America <laughs> where we just try to take like that clearly doesn't have any real effect mm-hmm. but yeah Thank you, Sarah, for that reporting. Yeah, that, yeah, that great was conversation. a big one. That was a big one. Um, we are we're gonna I'm gonna we're gonna move forward. We have a couple more stories. We have one more world story, and then we have a good news story, which I think we'll need after this next mm. story. Um, Teresa did this reporting. Um, I am going to read it for her. Thank you, Teresa. Um, so, air pollution in Delhi has resulted in quote gas chamber like conditions. Um, I do not like that phrasing at all. That is horrifying um, for a lot of reasons. Um, so air quality in Delhi has reached the, quote, hazardous category on Sunday. Schools have been closed and more than 30 flights diverted and construction work halted as the city sits in a thick blanket of smog. Delhi's chief minister, Arvid, oh gosh, um, Kejrilwal, pardon my butchering of that word, of his last name, but um, has called on the central government to provide relief and tackle the toxic pollution. According to a report from BBC.com, five million masks were handed out in schools on Friday as officials declared a public health emergency. Uh, from Monday, the city will introduce a temporary scheme so that only cars with odd or even numbered, numbered license plates can drive on given days in a bid to cut traffic pollution. Um, so the causes of pollution, obviously, manyfold. Um, one of the main reasons is uh, it gets worse every year. In November and December is that farmers in neighboring states burn crop stubble to clear their fields. It's made worse by the fireworks during the Hindu festival of Diwali. Um, other reasons, too, including construction dust factory vehicular emissions um, also contribute. But farm fires remain the biggest culprit, uh, which is so interesting on so many levels. Um I know that back in the 60s, like Americans would burn their trash. My dad always talks about that. Yeah. And that went away because it was terrible for air quality and stuff. And my dad and they would also burn leaves, too. So they would, um, you know, like rake your yards, gather the leaves, burn them bad for the air. Um, And they would they would burn their trash, too. Um, But we don't do that anymore. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. I think that the idea of only having even or odd numbered license plates on a given day is a really fascinating plan. That was like a yeah. callback to not a callback using a comedic term <laughs> to talk back, about yeah. global <laughs> pollution. Uh, that's what uh, China did for the Olympics, right? Oh, interesting. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, it's upsetting to hear about anything like this bad it's you know a lot of anxiety around climate change around that too but it sounds like i mean it sounds like they're they've pinpointed a specific and um, it's like when i think about climate change i start panicking so i'm like how can we all there's too much mm. not it's never gonna get fixed blah blah blah. but i mean hopefully if they've pinpointed a specific if the farmers burning their crops feels like a manageable issue that they can that 
should be able to be resolved. Hopefully it's interesting that they've, they've transferred the burden onto the cars to help, Mm -hmm. but um, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. It does suck though that it's taken them this long. I mean, it's always been my uncle actually, uh, he doesn't anymore. Shout out to my uncle. If he's listening, he's in (laughs) um, Thailand now, but he used to live in Delhi. (laughs) He works for the world health organization, but yeah, he would, would always talk about how he had to wear a mask and they have these like um, humidifier type things in their house where they like get air purifier. That's what I meant. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's been like this for a long time. So it's yeah. kind of like, to me, when I think about like New York and it's like, what are we doing? Like it took them this long to take such a drastic measure. And it's like, what if they did this five years ago mm-hmm. and maybe this wouldn't be happening or wouldn't have gotten this I don't bad. know, but yeah. you're right. I mean, it is good that they're, they've pinpointed like yeah. a specific, I mean the first, yeah, issue. first stop step, step to fixing the problem is acknowledging the causes Which no one wants to do no one wants to do um so we're, we have one more good news story and it's related to jasmine's story so i'm wondering if jasmine wants to read or Teresa's reporting on the good news story um sure i can that i can and that i will all right <laughs> celebrity chefs team up to feed kincaid fire evacuees and first responders Oh, Guy Fieri, Fl- La Mer of Flavortown <laughs> is in this story. Okay. Teresa, good job. <laughs> As the Kincaid Fire officially becomes California's biggest wildfire of the year, a few Northern California chefs are stepping up to serve free meals to evacuees and firefighters. Celebrity chef Guy Fieri, Tyler Florence, and Tracy Desjardins join forces with the nonprofit World Central Kitchen to help out. Sonoma Magazine reports that this effort started last week when 60 evacuees at the Healdsburg Community Center turned into hundreds. Then the Sonoma County Fairgrounds became the temporary shelter of thousands of evacuees and firefighters. Florence tweeted on Sunday that they had served nearly 6,000 meals and made a call for volunteers, volunteer cooks to step up and help out. Okay, so that's feeding people that are are now displaced. You know, it's it's good to see. Yeah, and if Guy Fieri yeah. is involved in six thousand meals, it would actually be like what fourteen thousand. Yeah, oh my gosh. I was just picturing people uh, listening to this that don't know who he is, yeah. and Jasmine's just like the mayor of Flavortown. <laughs> a very calm voice, making yeah. like the funniest joke I've heard like, all day. Specific. Um, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Jasmine. That's a great story. Uh, well, I mean, it's about a bad thing too, but it's it's nice to hear people coming together to hopefully find solutions. Right. And there's also, it's nice to know, like, well, not everyone can cook. I can't say that, but most (laughs) people have the ability to cook or like there's, there's things that you can do. Like there's ways to volunteer, whatever small skill you have to help people in need. So awesome. Thank you guys. Um, so we are wrap, we are winding this show down. This has been objection to the rule on radio free Brooklyn. Um, I'm going to have Matt read our sponsor read. We're lucky enough to have a sponsor in me bottle. That's right. And after more than a year of dreaming, researching, experimenting, late night conference calls and early Saturday morning meetings, the me team is happy and proud to present to you the me bottle. This double insulated reusable stainless steel bottle disinfects water in a 60-second cycle, utilize, I like that 60-second cycle, utilizing UVC. You love alliteration. <laughs> UVC LED. That's another good one. Meanwhile, I mean, good, good, um, good copy. Yeah. Uh, I'll do that again. This double insulated, <laughs> reusable stainless steel bottle disinfects water in a 60-second cycle, utilizing UVC LED technology and is 99.99% effective against E. coli. 
A single charge via micro USB lasts up to 30 days. And the bright LED display lets you know when water is ready to drink. Join us in bringing clean water to all. Raise your bottle and drink to you and me. Find out more at mebottle.com. Thank you, Matt. Uh, Once again, this has been Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. We'll be back next Sunday at 1 o'clock. Can catch all the shows at, on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org or on the Radio Free Brooklyn app. I'm going to close the show out with 20 seconds of a song called Goodnight Goodbye by the Julie Ruin. Uh, thank you so much for everyone in the studio today. And thank you to all the listeners. Thanks for listening. Have all a good right. week.